gear up as Cash Miller and his team of accomplished guests steer you on an enlightening voyage filled with valuable tips, fresh insights, and effective strategies. Welcome to Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show. Hello, everyone. My name is Cash Miller. I am the host of Marketing Masters, CEO of Titan Digital. Today, we're going to be talking about content marketing and diamonds. It's going to be a really interesting episode because you know, it's not often we'll get into specific subjects, how it applies to an industry and the diamond industry, of course, has been around. It's got a lot. It's been in the headlines for a number of things over the years. There's been a lot of uh, consumer perception developed. Yeah. And you have to change those. So it's interesting that, you know, content can be used to change the perception of the people that are buying certain products. And diamonds is a really good example of how this can be done. I've got with me Marty Hurwitz. He's with the MVI. Uh, it's an agency that focuses on that particular industry, diamonds. Marty, it's great to have you here. Tell us a bit about, you know, yourself, what you do. Thanks, Cash. Great to be with you. Uh, I'm a former third generation jewelry retailer. And about 35 years ago, we began the MVI and provide consumer research and market intel uh, to the gem jewelry and watch industry. We literally talk to consumers and funnel what they are saying, what they want to buy, uh, where they want to buy it to the jewelry industry, whether it's mining companies, manufacturers, or retailers all over the world. Okay. You know, so in the, um, you know, last, you know, decade or so plus, you, you would know better than I do, you know, we've had all sorts of issues, you know, when it comes to diamonds, you know, people have heard, seen the movies and stuff about blood diamonds. And now we've got a big shift in that particular industry to lab grown diamonds. And content marketing is playing a role in changing the perception yeah, of how people see, you know, diamonds and the willingness to buy them, you know, which affects a lot of people, you know, because, you know, you have mining companies, you have jewelers, you know, jewelry companies, you know, uh, stores, there's any number of people that it's going to have an effect on. So how is it that you use content marketing, you know, to raise awareness? Because lab grown diamonds, there's, there is a big push you know, to kind of go that way because of things, you know, the because of the places that some of the money for traditional diamonds has gone, you know, that money has been used to fund things that you know, a lot of people disagree with. So how is content marketing playing a role in changing the perception, pushing people to that, those lab grown diamonds? Uh, sure. So the, the, the first bit of this that's interesting is that the technology to grow diamonds in a lab is actually goes back to the 1950s. But it wasn't until 2004 that the scientists actually developed the first gem quality one carat white diamond uh, in a lab. And it was at that time that my company, we saw that we were involved in that process and we decided to ask consumers through research what they would think about this. And the response was overwhelmingly interesting. Um, especially to consumers in a younger demographic, 25 to 40 years old, they really wanted to see it because of all the issues related to blood diamonds and even issues related to um, ESG and sustainability. Yeah. Sure. Um, 
And so consumers really wanted that. So we published that research to the trade and we've been publishing research, te- uh, uh, analyzing awareness and acceptance with consumers every year since then. And it was that content, that research content that actually drove the trade to begin to pitch the product to consumers and consumers followed right along with the research and that age group first in the United States began accepting uh, lab grown diamonds and wanting to hear about them when they went into stores or saw it on the, on the internet. And gradually it migrated across the world and it is now a global uh, phenomenon and a disruption of the diamond, the gem diamond business uh, taking place. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I mean, that research says, you know, you've got this younger demographic, they are more socially and environmentally aware you know, we've got all sorts of causes coming out, you know, like you mentioned ESG and stuff for environmental, you know, like certain types of investing, they don't want to work with, you know, or put their money into companies that are not taking these things seriously, you know, and diamonds, of course, you know, like I said, they've been around, obviously, for literally forever. Um, you know, and you have a demographic that doesn't want to buy, they, they are willing to go this newer route you know, to be able to buy these lab-grown diamonds, feel better about what they're buying. You know, so that makes a huge difference. This is, and this kind of thing applies to a number of different industries, you know, because of, you know, when you have, you know, the one that I could think of that's, you know, kind of similar would actually be meat. You know, we think of all the lab-grown meat that's come come along in the last few years compared to, you know, doing it traditionally with, you know, a cow, um, you know, to, to make a steak. Yeah, I still prefer the steaks, but, you know, the uh, lab-grown meat uh, has found a place in the market of with people that, you know, want to go there. Yeah, so you've got um, a number, like, of industries that face these same challenges, right? Yeah, no question about that. In fact, the lab-grown diamond consumer is a highly educated consumer who is in touch with climate change and the fragility of our planet right now. Mm -hmm. And so they are looking for any consumer product that stresses ESG and sustainability as part of their brand value proposition. So the lab-grown diamond consumer is buying electronic vehicles or they're buying lab-grown meat or they're buying sustainably produced uh, produce at Whole Foods. So there's a whole range of consumer goods that these consumers are interested in. Uh, And a lot of it has to do with the sustainability values that the brand associates with the product. And lab-grown diamonds are are no exception. In fact, they're just following this trend that you noted related to any other consumer goods. Yeah. So how do you take, you know, it's such a huge industry and it's almost like taking, um, and you're trying to steer the Titanic, you know, in a sense, because it's, it's really hard, you know, to point everybody in another direction. You know, how do you end up doing that with an industry of the size and also the enormity behind it, because you're taking something, you know, where we're digging it out of the ground, 
we're doing it in places where, yeah, it can be controversial, you know, to do that. And then we're saying, hey, we're we're going to point you in a whole nother direction, you know, because we can do these same things, but we can do it in a laboratory. I mean, to get acceptance of that, you know, on a broader scale, not just necessarily with one demographic, you know, how do you do that, you know, from a marketing perspective? Well, this is a fascinating point. In fact, the traditionalists in the jewelry trade, and it is a tra- it is a tradition laden industry. Mm, yeah. They were very they were very resistant to lab grown diamonds. However, the consumer is driving the train. The voice of the consumer is the only voice that counts. And the consumer, both young and old, I would point out started asking about this product. It became a tidal wave of viral demand. And once the industry started seeing that, literally consumers walking in the door saying, oh, I heard about lab-grown diamonds. Can you tell me about them? If you were a retailer, you couldn't say no. You couldn't say, I, I don't care. I don't carry that because then you just lose the consumer. They walk out. Right. So the, so literally the, the, the consumer's voice, the consumer's demand has forced the industry to to accept the product. The consumer's always been willing to accept the product, as our research pointed out from day one. It was the trade that was holding back the progress in the category. But now it, it is a tidal wave of demand globally, and the, cons- the trade has had to adapt to selling and marketing this product. So you get a trade that's like slow-moving, you on on the research end, you say, look, this is what the consumer actually wants, okay. But to get the to get the trade to actually make the move to it, you've got to get the consumer to start demanding it of them. That means literally walking into stores and so and, and saying, this is what I want. Do you have this product? So how do you get to the consumers if it's this if it's the trade that doesn't actually want to do the advertising? You know, because well, initially they don't want to say anything about it. Right. So uh, the whole interaction happened over a period of approximately 12 months. And it was like everything happening at once. We had the pandemic. um, We we, we had social media and we had digital uh, platforms um, offering lab-grown diamonds as an alternative. Consumers were hearing about it virally on social media from friends, they were learning about the scientific advancement in LabGrown, and they started asking questions. It was literally content marketing 101. It was the mm. content that was driving the inbound increase from these consumers. And more, more and more, uh, the product became available at whether it was e-commerce retailers or brick and mortar yeah. stores. And that's that's sort of facilitated the expansion of the consumer interest. But the content itself, though, what was the origin point of it? You know, of like, you know, I understand if it's like news articles and things like that. Is that, you know, the case where, you know, you get, you know, journalists, they start picking up on this as being a better way to go. They start writing stories on why this. And then, you know, then you have consumers that start seeing these things. Or is it another or is it like a combination of things? No, it was unquestionably news articles in okay. the press uh, where the the news stories were either business or consumer press and then ultimately luxury press 
that picked up on the advent of the technology and the availability. Mm-hmm. And there were there were a few different uh, stories written. This goes back two or three yeah. years now, and those stories just went viral. They became evergreen stories, whether they were on BBC or they were in yeah. uh, WWD, and and that's what consumers saw. Okay, so then if you go back a step further, you know, you have to get to the, you know, I'm thinking from the standpoint of you have, when you're trying to shift an industry, especially if you have a product, so that is like, that is transformative to the industry. So in this case, lab-grown diamonds, or if it was a Beyond Meat type product, you know, things that are, you know, go back to Tesla, and it's like electric cars. And, you know, and the first ones, you know, when they were first, you know, first models that came out, right, you go to, to kind of get the, um, the ball rolling, as it were, it's almost like, you know, it's traditional press releases, contact journalists, you, you know, because nobody knows unless somebody within the industry that you're at least trying to disrupt. So they're, they work for the disruptor. Yeah. Unless you tell someone you still don't have anything to pick up on. Yeah, that's exactly right. Journalists are dependent on pitches coming in from somebody and mm-hmm. hopefully they get a pitch that aligns with their audience. In the case of lab-grown diamonds, it was uh, partly our research and part that got uh, shared with with journalists, yeah. and, and it was partly the uh, lab-grown diamond growers, the prime growers of the product that were that were sending the the product to the retailers, mm. uh, and and these forces uh, began pitching these journalists to tell this story, and when. When journalists saw the younger demographic interested in it and they started writing yeah. more about it, that's what drove them. Because uh, without the younger demographic, not, nothing in consumer goods is going to work. Everybody realized the baby boomers and their spending is literally dying off. And yeah. so everybody everybody's trying to tap into the next generation of consumer shopping. And so once a consumer demographic uh, in the younger range, really gloms onto a product. Mm-hmm. The journalists really want to write about it. Yeah, and so there's you know ways to push, but it's it is using content. Like I say you have to get you, you may have to get the ball rolling, but if you've got something that's disruptive and the industry itself is against making this kind of a change, yeah, you know, they they may know, you know that deep down that you know selling lab-grown diamonds is still way better than what the way they were doing it. But you do have a lot of people in every industry that are going to be resistant to such a, because that's a dramatic change. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a total, you know, take the industry and turn it upside, you know, upside down, you know, for them. And it was something that you said, it really didn't start happening until, you know, the pandemic and, you know, that really got noticed, even though, you know, the first really perfected lab-grown diamond you said was in like 2004, where it was, you know, it made it, you know, viable for the public. Yeah. Interestingly enough, at the trade level, there was a seminal event uh, a few years ago at a trade show when De Beers, the mining giant that Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier, they actually got into lab-grown diamonds. Nobody really, nobody really knew this, but they were growing diamonds since the 1960s. <laughs> but those di- those diamonds were being used for scientific purposes. Yeah, and there is a bit, there is a big market for 
uh, in the semiconductor space in quantum computing to use lab-grown diamonds also. And yeah. De Beers was at the forefront of that. But they announced that they were going to go to the consumer with lab-grown diamonds also. This was the this was the stamp of authority that told the industry that this was okay to do. Yeah, that's totally because you take one of the biggest players and you say, hey, we're willing to do it. And I would think from De Beers' point of view, um, I say, you know, not that long ago, I listened to a whole podcast on, you know, that company and some of the other stuff that goes on, um, you know, for the industry. But in De Beers' case, I would think that doing selling lab-grown diamonds is a more cost-effective thing to do it. Their question, I think, has always been, you know, whether they could get the same price for it, you know, as they could get from a, an, an actual mined diamond. But the extraction and the cost of that extraction has got to be way higher, I would think, than it is to grow a diamond in a lab. Yeah, giant, giant differentiation in the cost uh, to mine it and the cost to the environment uh, to grow it. Uh, so yeah. in general, to start up a new mine, it's about $300 million and they expect a lot, they expect a lifetime to be over 25 years. Uh, hmm. but by the way, they're not really finding any more new mines. It's very hard. They've searched the entire earth. Now they're dredging the ocean for mine diamonds, which is an absolutely horrific environmental yeah. practice. Uh, so, so the, 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 the costs, involved in growing diamonds is is a lot less and consumers are seeing that there this is really the democratization of diamonds because consumers who could never afford diamonds can sure. never afford diamonds yeah that makes sense too because it's you know well the cost of diamonds would come down because they are lab grown De Beers, though, you know, they can make that up, you know, their costs dropped accordingly as well. So that makes it more doable, you know, for them. And so you could see that the eventually the shift, because you just mentioned that, you know, they can't find any more actual diamond mines anymore anyway. You know, we're it, literally, if you're dredging the ocean, you have a problem. Um, you know, so that just would make it would get more expensive, not less. So it would make sense to continue this shift to lab grown. Yeah, like I say, because there's a lot of industries that are, you know, at least contemplating such changes if they can figure out a scientific way to go about it, you know, to do it in a lab. Um, you know, and a lot of food production is, you know, they're at least experimenting, you know, with those things. Uh, but it's still, like I say, you, you're dragging a whole industry forward and you're having to do it actually through marketing because if you didn't if nobody said something initially that gets to the journalists you know then you take what the journalists had and then you go okay now they start writing about it now it's in front of the consumers and the consumers say this is what we actually want none of it works so you have to go to the very beginnings and say okay this is how we're going to get it out. And now we have a lot more avenues to do it because you could do, you know, you can go to journalists, you can put, you know, things on social, you could, you know, you, there's a number of methods, right? Yeah. I think, I think content marketing is everything in the digital age. I think getting a, an article written about you or research published on your topic and, and establishing a digital footprint for your content so that, your phone rings, or in this case, you get clicks on your website of people interested. This to me is the whole uh, opportunity of, of the digital age in terms of marketing. You want inbound calls because if somebody clicks through um, 
to your website because they read something about you, they're already sold on your product. And uh, it's very different than outbound marketing, which used to drive everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So with such a heavy content focus for, you know, this type of industry, do you end up running into problems where you have, you know, I guess, misinformation, different myths, you know, because it seems to always be the case. I know in the food side, they've had some issues. Have you seen those kinds of issues when it comes to, you know, promoting lab grown diamonds? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's been a lot of misinformation, or I should say a lot of lack of communication of accurate information by the retailers. Now, this is changing a little bit because now retailers, in order to uh, make this a viable category, they really find they have to educate the consumer accurately and give them the choice. In other words, don't demand that they buy LabGrown, but show them both products. This is just a new category. You yeah. want a mine diamond? You want a LabGrown? You choose. And the retailers that are good are offering this as a choice. They're educating consumers about what it is. It's not a simulant. It's not a CZ. It's not a moissanite. It is actually a diamond made in a laboratory. And the Federal Trade Commission has said a diamond is a diamond, whether it comes from the ground or comes from a lab. And so consumers yeah. are now getting better at educating. There's a huge the need for more education at retail or on, on websites. And retailers are learning how to do that better. But at the beginning, and even still in some markets globally, there's still a big lack of awareness and education. And that's the next hurdle to be, to be uh, gone over. Yeah, I think that's a lot of industries that make you know such a transformation. They are, they are going to run into that hurdle because you're going to find some people that are no matter what resistant. They're traditionalists, you know, of some sort. They want to, they don't like to see those kinds of changes. It could be some people within the industry, yeah, you know, that are really resistant to it. Um, I know, you know, not just in the food side, but if you take you know marijuana, you know, we've been going state by state to you know. Um, make it legal but every time you do that every state you got to go into you have to you know make the case you have to explain you know i say because every you know you've taken an industry that now is legal it's like in 36 or 38 states um the federal government is you know just gone and uh was it changed it from a class one or whatever you know the classifications are of criminalization to like now number three um you know so they've downgraded it but yeah you take You've you've had a uh, society in this particular case um, that was trained to say this is wrong, this is it's illegal, don't do this, it's bad for you, and everything. And now we're suddenly you know going the other direction, and it's and it's picked up momentum. But you've had to educate, and that's what you have to do when you have these kinds of shifts, right? You know, is a heavy education to combat some of the misinformation that can be out there because you're always going to have people that are against you know, whatever it is, you know, that you're trying to do. Yeah, I think this is a very important point. And, and the cannabis industry is a great example because that you literally had to turn not just the business community around, but the entire public around mm -hmm. in terms of their opinions on this. And like uh, the cannabis industry, the jewelry industry is filled with followers, not a lot of leaders. Mm -hmm. And once the message start getting starts getting communicated in, various different media, uh, people start, people 
hear a convincing content piece or see a convincing content story, and they will follow, whether it's at a consumer level or at the trade level. And that's, that's certainly true in cannabis as well and, and a lot of other industries also. Yeah, you know, because that, that goes to the kind of who is also saying these things, you know, is going to matter, you know, who do people, you know, kind of associate with or are in tune with, you know, who is their favorite podcast podcast host or radio personality or TV or whatever it might be. It could be a politician saying something, you know, you don't know, like say that people get hit with information from all sorts of different angles. So it's important for an industry. If you're going to try to shift the perception you're getting, you know, in the case of diamonds over time, you got more buy-in. And once you've started getting into beers buy-in and then you get the retailers buying in, you know, and now you get, forward momentum of the industry as a whole trying to combat some of this and educate the public properly on you know the differences i like your point of a retailer saying here this is lab grown this is you know actually mined from the earth you can see the differences you know from a cost perspective a quality perspective you know they can actually show you the diamonds yeah i mean that's huge when you go to buy one you know and and really knowing so if the re, if the industry itself focuses on continuous education, it's a hurdle that over time will be overcome. Yeah. And, and I talk to retailers all over the world on this subject every day and presenting the choice in an educated way, not in a biased way, and explaining the differences uh, and the similarities and letting the consumer decide makes you, the retailer, the voice of authority, the credible voice of authority, and lets the consumer have their space to decide on their own. And in two years, we've heard stories like uh, this: a retailer starts selling lab-grown two years ago. They sell 2,000 engagement rings a year. And now they, they have a 70 to 80% conversion into lab-grown versus mm. mine. So this is this is really a dramatic disruption yeah. happening at the retail level. Yeah, that's a huge change. And that shows, you know, that public perception has really changed. That shows that the education is getting where it needs to to be so that people when they walk in, they're already aware. Because first you have to have that awareness that they even exist. Yeah, that you have lab grown diamonds, that that's an option. And then you have to say, okay, we've built awareness. Now we have to educate them on the differences. And the retailer being the final point of contact, essentially for the consumer, that's going to be where they're actually making the purchase. It's going to be up to that retailer to finish off that education. They've got to be willing to do that, you know, because, you know, I would assume, and you might be able to answer this because I'm curious what the margin is, you know, because it goes back to that retailer's willingness to do that, because do they make more money on something that's mined? You know, because the cost you have, a, you know, the cost is different to mined versus, you know, lab. So the retail price would be different. You know, yeah, they, they actually the retailers make very little margin as in single digits in mine diamonds. And this is another reason the trade became so interested in selling lab grown because mm -hmm. the margin for them is much higher in some cases, 30 to 50%. And so not only does the consumer get more value for their money as in a bigger stone for their budget, but the retailer actually makes more money on the transaction. So that's, 
that's been another reason the, the retailers have gravitated to this. Yeah, so I assume that the lab-grown are significantly cheaper to be able to do. And what you mentioned, you could actually, the consumer could potentially afford a larger stone you know, to be able to give us that engagement ring or wedding ring or you know, whatever the occasion may be because they were prepared to spend a certain amount of money and then they find that they can actually get more value than they were originally you know, thinking. Right, so, so this is a great point you make. Everybody shops with a budget. Uh, for yeah. whatever they're buying, even the richest people in the world. So a young couple coming in for their engagement rings, let's say they have a budget of $5,000. Now, they don't necessarily tell that to the salesman, but the salesman tries to get at that as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and online, it's easier to get at that than it, sure. than it is in store. But now a salesman for $5,000, he's going to show you a one-carat mine diamond of uh, you know, let's say G color VS clarity or a two carat or three carat lab grown in the same color and clarity. Yeah. And I, of course, seven out of 10 times, the consumer is going to gravitate to the bigger stone. And that's exactly yeah. what's happening. Ironically now, because the consumer feels like they're saving money uh, on this transaction, which they are, they actually, <laughs> their, their, their average order value goes up because they say, Oh, well, since we got that stone, why don't we put some more money into a custom mounting? And so yeah. the retailer winds up making more money on the mounting. Yeah, some additional high margin things that they could provide that they the the customer might not have bought because they were kind of out of money on the stone because it had reached the top of the budget. That's really interesting. And the other thing I was just it got me thinking is if yeah, because a lot of times, of course, when you're buying an engagement ring or you're buying a wedding ring, you don't necessarily have the other person with you. So if I'm the, you know, if I'm going to propose to someone, I'm going to buy the big, you know, if I've already got a budget in mind, I'm going to go for the, uh, the lab grown every time because I can get a bigger stone and I'm not going to go tell the other person it was, you know, mind or lab anyway, you know, it's just large and that's, you know, that's what they're really going to want to see. Yeah. You know, so there are some ways to go around it where, you know, yeah, you could sell those larger stones. It's a benefit to the customer, you know, depending on their individual situation of whether they're shopping with someone or for someone. Right. It, that is true, uh, and uh, hmm. sort of a uniquely male perspective. But uh, in addition, yeah, in certainly. Addition, but, but if I can buy the bigger rig for the same amount of money, <laughs> but in, in addition to that, and interestingly enough, there's much more couples uh, in the younger demographic shopping for this engagement hmm. ring together, mostly because females are sick of getting uh, uh, ugly rings or small diamonds. <laughs> Well, uh, I say we, and so, and, and people have started calling this the female diamond because the female consumers are very interested in the sustainability story that LabGrown provides. Yeah. And even at the trade level, there's many more females working in the LabGrown diamond industry than there are in the mine diamond industry. So there's a bit of an evolutionary shift in the demographics uh, of the genders of people buying it and the people selling it. Well, I can also see from the woman's point of view, you know, she may, because again, if you're on a budget, she's going to pick the lab grown more often. Yes, the sustainability, but also I'm thinking that she's showing a bigger ring to her friends, you know, and so there's that part. And then, you know, it's still the bonus of, hey, this was actually grown in a lab. So now if you really do, if that is a big, you know, like factor for you, 
because you hang, you know, your circle of friends are also, you know, if they're very environmentally aware or things like that. So if you're able to go to them and say, I got a much bigger ring and it's lab grown, you know, it's kind of a double whammy for you, you know, to be able to show off. Yeah. So um, I think it's really like, there's some interesting consumer side, you know, uh, side benefits to that because yeah, they say women in the, you know, you buy this like small ring cause it's all you can afford, but suddenly can afford a bigger one. Yeah. You know, like I say, it's fascinating. What you, what, you know, if you're the consumer, the change that you see there too, and it's actually a win for everybody. You know, at the end of the day, because you know, if you're the diamond, you know, company, if you're a De Beers or a competitor, uh, you don't, you know, you can get away from mining. It's cheaper. The margins are higher. That helps the jewelry store too. That's selling. You know, uh, and then also the the you know customer actually gets a better you know product because they're able to get a larger diamond something that shows off better something they can be you know that they can really be happy with and they can think that it's also something that's environmentally friendly it didn't you know if you if you're really into that it didn't harm the earth in doing it so you know that's a, a something that's always in the back of your mind for sure for sure yeah so two, 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 two things I'd love to point out to you sure. that, that I think are really worth noting. One, the, the trade roadblock to getting this whole thing going, one of the original roadblocks they had was diamonds, mine diamonds, were always a store of value because De Beers, since 1938, was saying diamonds are an investment. Yeah. This was the greatest marketing myth ever told. Yeah. There was no rarity of diamonds. There is no investment value in, in diamonds, except for a very, very small, specific number of diamonds, like pink diamonds from Australia. But those were scarce. But the bulk of mine diamonds have never been scarce and have never been an investment. They mm. devalue faster than your car leaving the showroom. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I uh, spent my teenage years living in Las Vegas, and I can tell you that there's not a pawn shop that ever paid for you know the same price you did when you bought that diamond. <laughs> yeah, Correct. So, so, so that was an issue. And mm. I think the trade finally started being honest about this with the consumer. Hey, yeah, lab-grown diamonds are less expensive. And no, they don't have any investment value, but neither do mine diamonds. So yeah. you should, if you want investment, you go to Charles Schwab. If you want love, you come to the jewelry industry. Yeah. So the value of all that jewelry that's sitting in the drawer at home that you haven't actually worn probably in the last, you know, who knows how many years for at least some of the pieces. Yeah. You're like, hey, I've got a bunch of expensive jewelry. Yes. If you have to go buy it again, it's expensive. But if you're going to try to sell it, don't expect to get what you paid. <laughs> right. And the second thing is speaking about content and quality content, you may have heard about this new technology called the carbon capture, carbon sequestration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, some of the lab-grown growers are actually using carbon capture from the air and sequestering that carbon and mm. using it in their growing process. This is a phenomenal uh, sustainability story that's about yeah. to start going out. Yeah, I, I've... I'm, yeah, fall on the um, climate change is real side and environment, you know, I want to see environmentally friendly things. So I've, you know, I've 
kept up on a number of things. I have carbon uh, capture. I've kept on, but you know, but I have not heard of that specifically um, that they have been doing it. It's a great idea. I wonder at what scale, like how much of it they're actually able to use, even as as an industry, you know, to be able to take that carbon that they do capture from factories and so you know everything before it ends up in the atmosphere. You know, how much of it we could actually used to make diamonds yeah i mean well we, we could use all of it because what happens with the carbon is it helps convert it into methane and methane is one of the biggest ingredients in growing diamonds huh so yeah i mean that's great because then you know it it actually makes the industry sustainable because it's those are the things you actually need and we you know we help the environment even more so than you would think you know it's a double whammy if we're able to do it that way we're not digging them out of the ground and we're taking that you know that carbon turning it into you know turns into methane and we're able to take that and actually make the product that's great because we're saving on both ends yeah. So, yeah, if we we need more of that stuff, you know, going on in the world to to be able to right the ship here. Yeah. So this has been a great conversation and really uh, fascinating. Um, you know, and I think being able to use, you know, content yeah, as one of the driving things to change the direction of an industry is fascinating. And what they've done in the diamond industry has been really I know there's a. Uh, it's really starting to make the right decisions, I think, from the environmental standpoint, but also really the consumer standpoint and, frankly, their bottom line, too. You know, that is what we need more of. It's a win across the board for everybody. And I wish that you know, more companies would see, and industries would see things that way, you know, look for ways to make you know, everybody a winner instead of you know, just themselves. Uh, you know, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, Marty, how would they go about doing it? Uh you can reach us at themvi.com, and that's M, the letters M-V-E-Y-E.com. Okay, this is another great conversation. Uh, my name is Cash Miller. I'm the host of Marketing Master, CEO of Titan Digital. It's been great having you on, Marty, talking diamonds. It's been a really interesting subject. I appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in to Marketing Masters, the Agency Power Show. This show is produced by Titan Media Works and is a part of the Small Business Delivered Podcast Network. Check out smallbusinessdelivered.com for more info about upcoming shows, hosts, programs, and how you can start your very own podcast.